Good morning. As you're making your way in, as we've been still continuing singing as we come in, please stand with me. Take your hymn book and let's begin this morning as we sing the wonderful hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Hymn number 38. Hymn number 38. seated and I hope you got a bulletin this morning. We do have several announcements and things we want to share with you. Uh, so I ask that you bear with me before we uh, continue in worship this morning. If you'll turn over on the inside of your cover, you will see several announcements. We do have the ladies Bible study starting this week, an in-person study uh, that they'll be doing. And I think it's Isaiah that they're going to be working through to begin with. And so women, you are invited to be a part of an in-person study. They're still doing the online study as well. Um, but next week is the installation service for David. He's not here this morning. He's actually doing an installation service uh, for his nephew, who is actually in one of our churches here in this presbytery. And then next week, he'll be here to help us. But next Sunday night, we invite you to come. Please come. We're going to do an installation service. Um, we will still have the kids and youth programs downstairs. Um, but what we'll do upstairs is have an installation service. And then right after that, We'll join the youth and the children in the fellowship time afterward. So we'll just have some finger foods. If you want to bring some things, you can. We'll have some stuff. It's for everybody once again to just fellowship and to welcome him here, him here uh, and to be together. So we invite you. Please plan on coming. We don't do evening services uh, very often, but uh, it would be an opportunity to just fellowship together. Um, we also um, have several things that we'll be praying about here later this morning. You'll see announcements for our upcoming uh, congregational meeting. The session is going to try this year to be more proactive in relating what it is that we meet about and share with each month. And so David's going to help us. And Christy, they'll be putting in the, the blast that goes out after our meeting, some of the things we've shared. And we're going to encourage the deacons to kind of do the same thing. So you won't have a full report, but at least you'll have information and things that you know we are working on things. We're constantly moving forward and trying to, to lead and to serve the church. And you'll be updated on those things as well. Um, but uh, one of the things we really need uh, to do is get deacons. And so as we have shared before, 
this year we've had several rotate off. Tim is rotating off and Sean is rotating off and uh, we're going to have to have more deacons come on. And so we've also talked as a session that we'd like them to be a part of this. And so before we go farther than that, I've already called Tristan and he didn't want me to embarrass him, but we, we very seldom recognize our deacons. We always talk about what the session is doing and we have all these deacons that are always serving, but this past year, Tristan Van Ember, I told him I wouldn't embarrass him, but he's up here fourth from the left on the middle and the right. Um, but he served as our chairman and is rotating off in a moment. But we want to say thanks to Tristan because it was a, a weird year to take over and run deacons. This past year, as you know, we brought on a bunch of new session members. We changed the entire finance staff and people that we had. And we brought on new deacons, and we asked them to take over the role of finances to help in budgeting, which is their book of church order plan. And he took that on willingly and helped keep it going. And so he is stepping down, and many of you have already heard, not because he was upset, but his family, and I don't know the proper term, but they, they will be restationed to Alaska this year. And so they will need several months to plan and prepare, and we'll have some time later to, to fellowship with them and say goodbyes with them later. But it's later in the year, a few months down the road, but pray for them and their family. Uh, they're going all the way in Alaska, and I think they speak Alaskan up there. I'm not sure, um, but <laughs> that's right. So, but we appreciate them, and we want to say thanks to Tristan. He doesn't want the recognition, but, and not just to Tristan. In the years past, we, we, we really want to make it an effort for you guys to realize that we need deacons. We're trying to go back to the BCO completely to let the deacons be aboard. We want the deacons to not do all the work, but to be able to oversee the ministries that are in the work. And so we need deacons. And in this past time, I'm not trying to, be a, to belittle or point out anything but of all the people that were nominated, only one said yes. And we cannot run a church with three deacons. I'm just going to tell you. So I have asked our new chairman, who is willing to take this job on and encourage others and to try to organize in such a way uh, that we can continue to grow, and that's Matt Schwastik. He's going to take over the new chairmanship. And we're going to open up nominations. The session has voted to take nominations starting next week. We'll have to do it again until the end of February. But we've asked Matt to come and say, Matt, as a chairman, we want you to share with the church what it is that we need so that we can find those who are willing to help us so that we can continue to minister in the church. But this is Matt Schwastik, our, our new chairman of Deacons. Thanks, Jerry. The, the applause needs to be for Tristan, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> and let's not forget Tim and Sean, who have been a huge part of our diaconate for six years. Um, the Book of Church Order recognizes two offices in the church. Your elders are the vision setters, the, the folks who are guiding our church to uh, stay faithful to the word. Your deacons are the, the folks who serve in the background. We're, we're an office of service. Our job is to make sure that your ministries go off without a hitch. Um, there's, there's two sections, really. We take care of the buildings and the grounds and all the real property of, of the church, the, the food ministry. 
and um, it, benevolence has come through the deacons. We, uh, we really need men to step forward. And I can tell you from doing this for 12 years that you come in for the service, but the fellowship is what keeps you there. Sharing a, a task with other men who are like-minded, who are passionate about the gospel going forward and ministries making an impact in the community, it, it gives you a passion. It gives you a purpose and a, uh, a real... Um, a real feel of community as we, we do these ministries together. So the sabbatical is also an important part of the ministry. Um, the, the service, like Jerry was saying, is often in the background, and it, it can be uh, a lot of work. And so we, we, we want to make sure men are rolling off when they need to. For you gentlemen who have completed a sabbatical, however long that is, we, we call you to come back. Uh, we have roles for everyone. We can find a place for you to serve wherever you feel led, whether it's in the property side or mercy ministries. So um, it will be opening nominations again. Uh, come forward for the training. See if it's something that the Lord is calling you to. And I promise you, you will not regret it. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Uh, we encourage all men, uh, even if you've never served before and you're not sure, uh, come and see us because the, uh, today's sermon even about discipleship is very important because uh, we really need you to serve. Someone had asked me, well, what happens if we don't get deacons? And if I gave you the hard core rule of what happens, it's two part. One, whatever the deacons can't do, it falls on elders. So if we don't have deacons, then the elders are going to do it. And if the elders have to do that, then the elders can't do their job. And so the other hard fact of it is, if we don't have enough men to lead the ministries, we have to start stopping ministries because we don't have people to oversee those. So the Lord has blessed us, folks. Please do not take this morning as a negative. He has blessed us. We've grown. We have new families. We have things happening. But along with that is we need leadership to rise with it. So please be in prayer. Uh, as we open that up again, men, we're putting it back on you. If you have served, Matt made it clear. If you're ordained in the PCA, it's an ordination for life. It's an ordination that you have that when you need a break, you rotate off. And when you've had your break, you rotate back on. And so it's able to come back in and the church will vote back in those men. So uh, all of this, uh, please put under your, your prayer belt uh, as we go forward. Uh, other than that, let me uh, lead us forward as we do worship, as we come this morning. Let me call us, if you'll stand with me, I'll call us to worship from Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, bless us now as we worship. We do thank you for our deacons. We thank you for their servant hearts. We thank you for all that they do. And Lord, we thank you for all of our ministries. And Lord, now we just pray that as we come to worship, let us even set those aside, that we can give you our hearts and our minds so that we can be refreshed in your spirit and grow in grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me as we confess our sins so that we can continue to worship together. You'll see it printed there in your bulletin from Micah 6. Join me as we pray. Lord God, you require us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before you. 
We confess that we have not loved you or our neighbor in this way. We repent of this. Grant that your Holy Spirit drives us to seek these things through Christ. Amen. And we find assurance of grace and pardon again in Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and forgiveness. Brought us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And for most people we know in our traditions, when we find forgiveness in Christ, we follow in discipleship and obedience. And here we are in our catechism questions, right in the same point where we realize part of following him is being baptized. Whether you were baptized in the covenant family or whether you've made a decision and been baptized uh, as you follow, it's important for us to understand that. So bear with me this morning and let's take a moment to share what baptism is. I'll read the question. Join me as we learn about our obedience and discipleship and what it means through baptism. Question 165, what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament in which Christ has ordained washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as a sign and seal of our being joined to Christ, of the remission of our sins through his blood of rebirth by his spirit, of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life. And it is the means of those solemnly admitting those baptized into the visible church and of their making a public commitment that they belong completely and only to the Lord. Who should be baptized? Those who are not members of the visible church and so are not included in the covenant of promise, should not be baptized until they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him. However, the infants of one or both parents who do profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him are by that relationship included in the covenant and should be baptized. And how do we continue to use our baptism. We have a necessary but frequently neglected obligation to use our baptism our whole lives, particularly in times of temptation and when we are present at the baptism of others. We should seriously and thankfully reflect on what is involved in baptism, why Christ established it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed by it, and the significance of our own solemn vows when we were baptized. This reflection humbles us when we recognize how defiled we are by sin and how far short we fall of living up to and indeed walk so contrary to the standards set by the grace of baptism and by our other spiritual commitments. We are also assured of pardon from sin and of all the other blessings sealed in the sacrament. We draw strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we were baptized in order to keep killing our sins and becoming alive by his grace. We are also spurred on to try to live by faith to have our human relationships defined by holiness and righteousness 
as is proper for those who have given up their names to Christ and to walk with each other in brotherly love, as is proper for those baptized by the same Spirit into one body. And upon that, I confer you the degree of ecclesiology of all that is spoken there. What a blessing as we learn about these important uh, aspects of our church. But let's also continue as you'll sing in your hymn book 662 as the heart longs for flowing streams. Join us as we sing. be seated as we take some time here to pray. You have the prayer list before you, and I do want to add Paul Borgeson to that list, and uh, we want to lift him up as he has shared with so many that he has shingles now, uh, actually, in wrestling through that. But we have many uh, that are sick. I know Larry told me that even Ruth this morning on the way here got sick, and so they've returned and asked for prayer. So we do have many in our church family this past week and some that have been sick and are wrestling with uh, many different illnesses. And so this morning as we pray, let me just put all of that together. And I also want to remember as we're sick and praying here, please be so mindful. Uh, I know as the wars tarry on, uh, sometimes they get old. Uh, but every soldier that is sent is never forgotten. Every soldier that is sent is missed by a son, daughter, a husband, spouse. And thousands and thousands are going to be reestablishing life when all of this period is over. And uh, we are so thankful that we haven't had those wars in great ways on our soil. 
And so it's hard to, to fathom what some of the families have been going through these last couple years. And so let's take a moment and pray, and then I'll ask you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it printed there uh, in your bulletin. Uh, I think it's there with us to share together. So uh, if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your guidance and your providence on our lives here. Lord, there are so many times we take for granted when we wake, wake up just the feeling of wanting to stay still, of just wanting to enjoy some more time, to stay warm, to relax. Lord, how different that is for those who don't have homes, how different for those who don't know where the next meal would come, and for those who've just lost a loved one, buried a, a parent or a child. And Lord, then to think around the world, how we wake up in safety for the soldiers that constantly watch our borders, guide our streets, for all the policemen and the workers, the fire department and the ambulances. Lord, we are protected constantly by those in this world who are serving others first. And yet you sent your only son to serve us first. Lord, let us not forget while we are so safe here, that there are places around the world where our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our own family members, are being killed, giving their lives, leaving loved ones behind. And Lord, if there is a way that we can minister to them, we lift them in prayer. We've sent the missionaries. We try to provide food. But Lord, only you can bring peace. Only you can bring the stability. And Lord, let us be so mindful of our need to rely on you during all of this time. Lord, bless us as we gather together. Lord, as we remember all that we have gone through, those in our family that are sick, those who are going through rehab, those who've had surgeries. Lord, we're mindful of your care for us, but at this point, let us just worship. Let us glory this morning in the fact that we have an opportunity to serve and that we're able to do that because of you. And Lord, because of your giving us the greatest servant of all, we're able to come into your presence, to bow before the throne of grace and experience the mercy that we ask for as we praise you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask if our ushers would come forward this morning as we take up our morning offering.
remain standing and follow along in your bulletin as we continue in worship as we prepare for the message.
Amen. You may be seated, and thank you so much for singing and preparing and helping us as we come before the Lord in His Word, and what a blessing that Mark has taken us on a journey in this morning of discipleship, servanthood, and uh, what a day as we talk about deacons and the need and what it means to follow Christ and to follow Him faithfully, and it's not just here. It's whether God's calling you to serve on foreign soil or even on our soil or in a local neighborhood or it could be at the food bank or it could be here. It's wherever God is calling us. This morning, I want you to see here in Mark chapter 9 the whole point and purpose of the beginning of what it truly means to be a disciple. What it means to be a follower of Christ. Mark has taken us through all the things that the the disciples were struggling and, and under, trying to understand and to realize what was going to happen. And now he's taking us on the downhill side of the book where we're headed toward the cross. We're headed toward the realization of why Jesus came. He himself, folks, our Lord and Savior, came as a servant to show what true leadership meant and to be the greatest of all. So here this morning, as we are in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, we pick up where the disciples are being challenged of what it really means to be a disciple. I challenge you this morning to listen carefully about what it takes to be a disciple. He begins in verse 30, as they have just come back down off the mountain, they've gone through the issues, they've just healed, and now Jesus has some time to teach them. A bit of preference when he gathers together with them and sits in a house. It's the scenario of the New Testament times when the teacher finally says, okay, sit down. We need to talk. I've got something I need to share. You guys have got it all wrong. Too many things are going on and you still don't grasp it. You don't get it. We need to talk. That's the setting. Begins in verse 30. And from there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement. They were afraid to ask him, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? Have you ever been caught in a guilty secret conversation? Have any of you ever had children where when they're whispering in the back and you go, what are you talking about? And they go, hmm. They both just look. That's the disciples. What are you discussing? Verse 34, but they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and placed him among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. 
And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Circle that word, us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. It's an amazing summary, and it goes on and on. I couldn't do it all in one week, but we begin to speak about what does it take to truly be a disciple, and obviously the clear answer is we've got to be like Jesus, and we've got to be a servant, and so I'm not preaching to you this morning. Believe it or not, a sermon was put together before we had the meetings of opening up elections, and the sermon was put together before we had to realize we needed more. It's amazing how God does that. I wasn't thinking of any one of you and who should have served and and needs to serve. I'm letting God speak to you this morning, and I hopefully can communicate to you the importance of what it means to truly be a leader, what it truly means to be one of the greatest in the kingdom of God. And oh, what a different picture it is from what so many of us truly have. Here, Mark begins to tell us the things we need. Let me begin. I'll try to outline it for you. I try my best. I hope it'll help. But let me give you some things that it takes of what it means to be a disciple. First of all, to be a disciple and a follower of Christ, you cannot be ignorant of the truth. That's what's happening in the first few verses of 30 to 32. He tells them, again, the one truth we must all come to the awareness of is that this is all about Jesus Christ. The rest of our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be behind Jesus Christ. It is not to jump out in front of him. It is not to protect him. It is not to lay the groundwork for him. Sometimes I think even as missionaries, we go out thinking to ourselves that we're going to lay the work for Christ to come in behind us. Well, John did all that. John's already done that. He laid the groundwork. Repentance was set, and Jesus has come, and we are to be behind him following faithfully wherever it is that he may lead us we've got to stay focused on the simple truth that jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead now we get that as a hindsight picture but for mark catch this he is telling them you guys are missing this he even knew it i'm sure jesus knew what they were talking about i know he's wrapped in human clothes and he was put in this world to bear our sins but the divine side of jesus In the awareness that could have been, what are you guys talking about? I'm sure he already knew. And that's when he realized what a mess we're in. And I'm sure in your heart and mind, there are times that you say, I'm doing this for the church, when really you're doing it for who? That's the issue that's going on. We're ignorant of what we're really here about. Our church is not here to build bigger buildings only. It's not here to just expand the ministries so that people in the community will have a place to go. It's not just a gathering so children have a place to come and have fun. It's not a social club where we can go and hang out so that we can make friends. Folks, those are all wonderful things to have in a life of people who are looking for answers in the social life. But the church was designed for one reason, 
to communicate the truth that people will not find anywhere else. When Jesus chose his disciples to follow him, he didn't give them exams in theology. He didn't ask them about how their churches ran before this. He didn't ask them about how the law was hung out before people and who they kept track of doing it. He simply said, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And the only way to do that is to tell people about Jesus. He's going to have to suffer He's going to suffer for you. He's going to have to die. He's going to die for you. And then he's going to raise again. And he's going to do it for you. It's the only message that we have to actually make men fishers, followers of Christ. Nothing else makes us follow Christ. It doesn't matter what good works we're doing. It doesn't matter what we're accomplishing in life. Here you have the disciples and the three, Peter, James, and John, if you wish, that are constantly still wrestling with what it means to be approved by the world as the best followers of Jesus, as if they really cared about following him at all. They were more in tune with how many were following them, looking up to them as the greatest followers of Christ. Here's what happens He simply says that man is going to be killed and he will be handed over. I want you to write this down and put this. Some of your Bibles, if you're in the King James, New King James, things like that, it will say the son of man is to be betrayed. It's the Greek word paradidomi. It is actually what we call a a divine, if you wish, passive that we use in the Greek. It's a passive tense verb that means it's being happened to him. And it's divine in the sense that do you know who is really handing him over? I want you to think about this for a minute. None of the other translations will use it. They'll use the word either he has been delivered or handed over in the New American Standard. It's probably the best translation because do you know who is really handing Jesus over? It is not the people. It is not the leaders and it's not the scribes. We're coming down the road in which Jesus now is telling you that the time is coming that he is being handed over. And yes, he will be betrayed by men. He will be betrayed by his own. And he will be mocked, ridiculed, and crucified at the hands of angry men. But do you know who is handing him over? It is the Father in heaven. Because he came to serve us. He came to fulfill the promise between him and the Father. And you and I must not be ignorant. That's what it says when it says they did not understand. They were ignorant. The word that is used for ignorant is the word that they're saying they didn't understand it. And you cannot be a disciple of Christ if you don't understand the basics. When people ask you about your church, your response could be of a multiple uh, conclusions for them. Hey, what about your church? Well, we're located in Davidsonville. Would that not be important for them to come? Hey, tell me about your church. It's the beautiful white building on 25-so acres on the corner of Birdsville Road. That would help, wouldn't it? Well, tell me about your church. Well, it's it's got a, a wonderful sanctuary and a good fellowship hall space, and we've got places to roam. We could talk about our church that way. Well, tell me about your church. We're Presbyterian. How many of you would say that first? Do you see we have all kinds of descriptions? Tell me, what about your church? How does your church function? Could you tell them, well, we have elders and we have deacons and we have all kinds of ministry groups. You see, we could go on and on and on. But when someone says, hey, can you tell me about your church? Do you ever start by saying, we're a bunch of gatherers who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
I'll tell you about my church. We're disciples. We're guest servants to help one another follow Jesus Christ because he gave himself for us. He was the greatest servant of all. He was handed over to us by the Father, and he gave himself for us so that we, too, could have newness of life. That's what our church is about. And I bet if you would do that, you would realize what it means and actually feels like to become fishers of men. Because I believe God would touch the hearts of many people that you don't even know, and they would say, what are you talking about? And then you would have a chance to share the gospel. That's what Jesus says to them. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to understand the truth behind it. We did not take his life. He gave it. John chapter 10 gives us a wonderful Uh, understanding of what really takes place when he's talking about the good shepherd. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me. I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my father. Oh, your sins will be placed on Jesus. And you will turn on him. You yourself will sin, you'll curse him, you'll mock him, and you'll scorn him. And yes, your sins took him there. But it only happened according to the divinely ordained plan of God. God handed his only son over to us to be a servant. To be a servant so that we might be accepted. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Understand that three days he'll rise again. Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning is how they get the three days. Don't be ignorant of the truths. Then he goes on to tell us if you're going to be a disciple, not only do you not want to be ignorant, but you have to have the heart of a servant. That's what it's really all about. When we talk about serving Jesus Christ, we've got to be like him. If you want to be the greatest of all, you're going to have to have a great change in your understanding and and living. I could go down a list today and ask each of us. I do it to myself every week. I call you on the phone. Guys, I'm not the best, but I've sometimes left messages on your phone that said I'm just going through the list. I'm just praying for the families. If you want to call me back, great. If not, I'm just trying to find out how you're doing. I'm not a very good servant. Some of you have called on help to mow your yard, cut your trees, put on shingles. I'll do what I can, not because I'm a deacon in the church, but because if I really want to be a leader, I've learned over 30 years of planting churches that if people are going to come to a church and follow a leader, they need a leader who's willing to what? Serve. Let me ask you about your business, your home, the place you serve. Are you the leader there because everybody knows you'll serve them? Or are you the leader because you have dictated how everybody's going to serve you? What a difference. What a mindset change that all of a sudden Jesus changes the whole concept of greatness. He's not telling us not to be great. He's just redefining what greatness really is. We look at greatness as something so different because of the world. It shaped us. And here he tells us about what greatness really is when he says, if anyone wants to be first, he should be what? Last. 
Folks, there's no discrepancy in that. It's the idea of people running a race in the Olympics and you're winning the race and the crowd is cheering you on and the one who is tripped in the back and has fallen down and gotten hurt that you stop running and walk to the back and pick him up and help him to the finish line so that someone else gets the gold medal and someone else gets the silver medal and someone else took the bronze medal and all you got was this honor of knowing you helped the one person who needed it make it to the finish line. And the crowd cheers louder for you than the one who won the race. Because they know who is the true leader. All of a sudden, Jesus says, you've got to be the last. He's redefined greatness. We've shared this before. How many of you have climbed the corporate ladder in life? You've got into the government system in this area. I'll have to make it up because I don't know in the business life where we've been or the corporate life where you are or the government life where you are. It's all based on the pay scales and the ladders and the positions. And how does it feel when you finally served your whole life and made it through the top and got to the very highest place just to realize you climbed the ladder to the top only to find that your ladder is on the wrong building? And it's meant absolutely nothing in being a disciple for Jesus Christ, which is what we were called to be. I wonder when we get to heaven, and I want to be first. I want to be the greatest. I know. You know. I still wonder if God's even going to say, how much money did you really make? I doubt he'll even say, Jerry, how many churches did you help start? Because they weren't mine. I wonder if Peter will simply say to me, how many men did you bring out of the water? How many years were you a fisher of men? See, the whole understanding of greatness is not that we've reached a point that we can retire, that we can live at ease, that we can enjoy ourselves. These are all worldly terms. These are all goals that the world set before you. These are all passions that are feeding your flesh. Show me one place in Scripture where Jesus finally says, you know what, I think you've done enough. Just sit down, relax, and enjoy the rest of time until I come back. He's turned it all upside down. He even uses the word for deacon. You've got to be a servant. That's that word deaconos. We've got that word. You know what it means. It actually means waiting tables, to put a passion into the service of waiting tables. Think how many people you have to serve when you're doing that. It's all about the passion that you have to meet the needs of others. It's not for those who are the greatest or gifted and most privileged. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. He turns it, listen to what he says. To be the first, you've got to be the servant of all. I could give you a bunch. Listen to this throughout scriptures. If you want to be the first, you've got to be the what? Last. If you want to save your life, you've got to what? Lose it. If you want to live, you first got to what? Die. Isn't it amazing? Guys, this isn't new. It's been the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you want to be great, you've got to suffer. And it finally says, if you want to be the greatest of all, you've got to be the servant of all. Being a disciple, don't be ignorant. 
Learn to be a servant. That's what it's really all about. He gives us an object lesson when he simply takes the child and places it in front of them. He uses the Greek word of taking it in his arms. So we're talking about a child that was placed small enough that when he brings them to the circle of teaching, he places the child in his arms. Now, I don't know about you, but if Andrew jumped in my arms, I wouldn't be able to teach much about a lesson. So it was a small child, and he held that child in front of them. And different than Matthew, it's not a teaching of humility. Guys, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is an object lesson of servanthood. A deacon who is passionately putting their effort into serving the tables of all of those who are in need. And he picks up a child, puts it in front of them, holds it, and says, whoever receives one child like this. A child just like a woman covered by either a husband or a parent or almost seen with no worth at all back then. This wasn't a lesson of being humble like a child. This was a lesson of one who was in dire need and without the help of a parent or a mother or someone to take care of it, it would die. Someone needs to serve this child. And though they saw him as burdens, if you remember, they even at times told the people to take their children away. And he said, no, 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 let them come to me. He puts the child in front of them as a lesson of service. He doesn't say, I want you to become like a child. You know what Mark says? I want you to become like Jesus and serve this child, the one who is in greatest need. We're not asked to be like children. Mark wants us to be like Jesus. To find those that are in the greatest need. Those who have been neglected by society. Those that are deemed not even about a a, a portion of what is important. Folks, that's a truth about children. Believe it or not. No different than the view of women at times in the past. What he was really saying is if you want to be the greatest... I need you to receive one of these who are in need, just like I did. And he didn't just receive the child. He received you and me, those of us who had the greatest need and had no way to change it without his help. And he became the greatest servant to us and gave it up. For you and I. Disciples don't need to be like children. We need to be like Jesus. We don't need to be ignorant. We need to learn to be a servant. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but a disciple needs to be tolerant. Look at verse 38 and 39 when he tells us, Teacher, we saw someone doing these things, casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. Listen to the words that happened. You see, discipleship to James and John, if you wish, here going through, and John especially, is that it's not about service, it's about privilege. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ gives you the right to exclude others. You're not qualified, and I think churches have even done that before. It's sad to say, but sometimes the the deacon board or the session or the the deacons that are leaders of churches or the women's club or the youth group, we all find ourselves in these subcategories that we think we can exclude others from what we do. What makes us so different? What makes us so much better? 
Here, John is writing out and saying, I saw these people doing something in your name, and we tried to stop them. And listen to this, because they were not following us. Of all phrases that you think John would have said, if he wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, is he would say, but they're not following you. But John's missed it. The whole point of being a disciple is not following Jesus, but following who? Them. You can't follow us, then you can't do the things Jesus wants done. And that's not how it works. If you're going to be a disciple, you've got to be tolerant. And let me tell you why. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus had sheep of another fold, died for people of another place. Do you realize that there is salvation outside the Presbyterian church? I don't know if it's the Baptist, but I do know there is salvation outside the Presbyterian. I'm sorry. I, sh I meant Methodist. That's what I meant. <laughs> there is salvation outside of us. It's not being a disciple means they're following us. It's that they're following Jesus Christ. It's that they're coming to see him. Our job is to send people to him, not to us. I don't know how many times we've had people here, and, and I have to take it carefully, because anytime someone leads, leaves a church, you take it personally. Someone comes, they don't like the programs or the ministries or the preaching or the session or the deacons, or, and they don't want to be here, they want to go somewhere else. But I'll tell you what your pastor always tells people, that way you can tell them too, is when someone's not happy here, they don't just feel it's the right place, let's not just tell them to leave. You can do what I do. And actually tell them, if there's anything I can do to help you find a place where you can serve the Lord, let me know. Because as a church planter, I've put people in churches all over the United States, even if it wasn't mine. And then I started realizing, do you know why they didn't stay at mine? Because they too realized it wasn't really whose. Mine. Isn't it amazing how the Lord humbles us? That through the actions of others that you think, oh well, are actually the truths that you need to refocus. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't be ignorant of the truths. Have the heart of a true servant. And then realize you must be tolerant. Even in the Catholic Church. Hmm. Even in the Seventh-day Adventist church, mm. I truly believe in my heart that there are those that are in churches and denominations because that's where they were raised, and yet God has touched the hearts of many of those people, and they're doing things in the name of Christ, and even Jesus said they could not do that and then turn on me later. We must be tolerant. We must realize that other churches have other programs and can do it better than we do. And let's not fight them. Let's not build up walls. Let's work together in building the kingdom to follow Jesus Christ. Fishers of men. Finally, not only must you be tolerant, but here's the hard part. You must be full of discernment. Because not everybody out there doing it is doing it in the name of Jesus Christ properly. That's why Jesus simply says, if they're not 
against us, they're for us. Others would say if they're not with us, they're what? Against us. We do need discernment. We do need to realize that not everybody is doing it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Not every program out there, whether it's in the church, called a Bible study, called a ministry. Folks, nowadays, everything is a ministry. Everybody's doing it for the church. Everybody's doing it for the sake of Christianity. There's all kinds of things out there now that are taking the place of the body of Christ. We've said this before. We're parachurch organized to death so that people can just simply call it something Christian, do it their own way, and that That's not in the name of Christ. You must have discernment. Wise and yet shrewd. To be able to discern the truth. Because not even every church, as we know, is staying faithful to the scriptures that Jesus gave us. And there's nothing more hurtful than when an entire denomination has to split because half of them don't see the need to be faithful to the truth. And you know what's so horrible? It's not those so-called leaders of the church that get hurt. It's all those servants that have come to find Jesus who've been led astray by leaders who haven't learned yet how to be true servants. And so all of a sudden we realize Jesus says it more than any. The only way to tell the difference, do not hinder them. Let these ministries go on. Let these people perform in my name. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, truly I say to you, by no means will he lose his reward. By no means, we here must realize that the true decisions and the full verdict and the outcome of everything takes place at the cross, where now we must live in a season of grace as we wait for the hour of true judgment. As the weeds and the wheat grow together, as the angels decide what the verdict must be, we must continue as disciples. We must not be ignorant of the truth. We must have the heart of a servant. We must be tolerant for those who are serving in Christ's name in other places. But we must live with discernment because bad company will corrupt good morals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mark. Thank you for using him to lead us to the truth. And Lord, wherever it is in our lives this morning, where we have always thought ourselves to be so great, Lord, help us as a session at grace to realize when we were chosen to be leaders, we were really being asked to be the greatest of the servants. Help us to serve to find ways to minister to your children, to the ones that you told us need us more than any other. Father, I pray for our ministries, that as we find those who want to lead them, that they have servant's heart. They look for ways to serve others, to reach others. 
Lord, I pray for our men's group that we not look for the leaders in society to be the speakers and the boastful ones, but we look to those who are the true servants that would come and lead in ways we've never known. For our women, those we say are unordained, what the world would say must be ordained. Help them to be humble servants, true leaders, and to continue running the church as they have since its beginning. Lord, help us all. I want to be the greatest. Continue to help me be the servant of all. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would uh, stand with me, if you're able, as we sing our closing hymn together, it's found on hymn number 642. It is titled, Be Thou My Vision. If you would, let's sing that as our closing hymn.
receive the benediction here in 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.